Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Radio Omniglot podcast. My name is Simon Eger, and in this episode, I will be taking you on a journey. A journey into etymology. Now, of course, I'm sure you're aware that etymology is the study of words, particularly their origin and historical development, and I will be using Wiktionary for a lot of these etymologies I'm talking about, for definitions as well. Um, I often write about etymologies of words, the origins and meanings of words, on my blog. That's blog.omniglot.com. As, um, as a linguist, that is someone who is interested in how languages work, who has studied linguistics and languages in various ways, I always keep my ears and eyes open for interesting words and usages. And if I encounter any, then I often I'll write about them on my blog. And also when I'm learning foreign languages... If I come across words that I can't connect in some way to words I already know, then I'll look into their um, etymology and try and find connections. And you find, quite often, if you um, take apart long words and look at their component parts, then they kind of make more sense. You know, you can trace them back and then find connections with other languages you might know. And I find this helps me to remember words. And I think the very act of looking into their origins, their etymologies, and writing about them just helps um, helps me uh, remember them because I'm thinking about them more and I have more associations to connect to them. So the word etymology itself comes from Middle English etymology, from the Old French etymologie, from the Latin etymologia, from the Ancient Greek etymologia, um, which comes from two roots. Etumon, the true sense, and logia, study of. So you could say that etymology is the study of the true sense or meaning of words. Now there are people who believe that looking into etymologies will give you an idea of what a word should mean. Maybe people may not use it in that way, but what its original true sense is, or was, is the, the real meaning of the word, and any other meanings are not important. But if you spend any time observing language, you will know that it changes. Meanings of words change over time. For example, the word nice once meant accurate. And over time it has acquired many different meanings. And um, it will probably acquire further meanings in the future. So there's no one true meaning for any particular word. So there are many um, scientific disciplines, which we call ologies, which comes from the lochia, the study of in ancient Greek. Etymology is just one of them, and there are many others. Of course, etymology should not be confused with entomology, which is the study of insects, or etiology, which is the study of origins. And then there are many other ologies, such as biology, and anthropology, and zoology, and uh, sociology, and so on. I could also call myself as well as an etymologist, I could also call myself a philologist. Philology is another ology, which is actually, if you um, analyse the parts of the word philos, means love in ancient Greek, I think. Let's check that. I'm actually working this out as I go along. Philosopher, philosophy, philology, these are all words related, come from the same root. Yes, philos means loving in ancient Greek. So actually, a philologist, 
one who practices philology is one who loves words, and that's exactly what I am. I am a philologist. I practice philology, and in modern linguistic terminology, a philologist is a historical linguist. So a philologist is one who loves words. You could also use the word logophile. Actually, that's this is just the same two roots, just flipped around, isn't it? Logos and philos. So a, a word lover, a lover of words. It means the same thing, basically. And a logo, whatever words have the same root. Let us search for that. Logophobia, the fear of words, I believe. Logograph. Oh yes, of course, logograph is a character or symbol that represents a word or phrase. Now, some of these, the characters used in Chinese and ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs and uh, Mayan script and a few other ancient scripts are logographs. In the early versions of these scripts, these were basically pictures of things that people wanted to represent, but as they developed, they became more abstract. In the case of Egyptian hieroglyphs, they continued to be representative. They actually looked like the things they were supposed to represent, and to some extent in Mayan glyphs, but in Chinese, the modern characters look very little like what they're most meant to represent. They have changed over time, and only a small proportion of the characters used in Chinese are in fact logographs or logograms, which is another term for the same thing. Most characters used in Chinese are in fact semantophonetic um, glyphs, you could call them, I suppose. Semantophonetographs, that's a possible term for them, or semantophonetograms in, in the combined uh, meaning and they also hint at the pronunciation. And what other logo words do we have? Logocentric, pertaining to logocentrism, which is the analysis of literature focusing on the words and grammar to the exclusion of the context or literary meaning. Ah, interesting. And then a related word is phonocentrism, the idea that sounds and speech are inherently superior to the written language. I didn't know that one. I am not a phonocentrist. And another related term, logocracy, the rule or, of or government by words. So one who rules by the means of words is a logocrat. Whatever interesting word. Oh, logomancy, divination, divination even, with words, using words to try and divine the future. Oh, that's a nice one. What's this? Logomacanophobia. No, logizomacanophobia, which is the fear of computers. Eh. Logizomacanophobia. From logo, from logos, the words, macano. Um, it's a kind of toy for building stuff, and also involves machines and mechanisms. Um, and phobia, fear. So the fear of a word machine. Also, technophobia, technophobia, cyberphobia, computerphobia are other words that basically mean the same thing, but I rather like logizomacanophobia. Logomania. Great enthusiasm for words, or a disorder of the faculty of language in an individual. That's an archaic uh, meaning. Logomania. So I could say I am a logomaniac. I am practicing logomania. Oh, here's a good one. Monologophobia, 
an aversion to using the same word twice. Now, I know a few monologophobic people who have an aversion to using the same word twice and try and use different words, at least in, in any one given conversation. They won't use the same word twice, except little words, of course, that you can't avoid using twice. Um, and a related term, synonymomania, a tendency to refer to the same thing successively by a number of synonyms to avoid repetition. Okay, I think that's enough logos for now. <laughs> Whatever words... Oh yes, the word word itself. Where does that come from? Let's just find out. Um, from the Middle English word, from the Old English word. <laughs> they were probably pronounced slightly differently, of course. From the Proto-Germanic wurda, or something similar, which meant a word. From the Proto-Indo-European root werdom, or something like that. Um, the word verb, that came via Latin, and then via the Germanic languages we've got word. Ah, you see. So, one um, interesting aspect of studying etymology is you can see how words have changed in different language families. Their sounds have changed. So you see in the Germanic languages, you've got word and similar words developed, like wort in German and wort in Dutch and Ord in the Scandinavian languages, Ord in Icelandic. So, so the, the initial consonant disappeared in the West, in the North Germanic languages, but was retained in the West Germanic languages. But only in English is it a W sound, in the others I think it's more like a V generally. And then in the um, Romance languages, the W, which in classical Latin was pronounced uh, W, although written with a V, with a V, so it was pronounced verbum in um, classical Latin, but then later on became verbum, and that meant a word, proverb, saying, verb, or language, discourse, expressions, and from that we get such words as adverb, and proverb, verb itself, and related words in other languages, such as uh, verb in French, um, verbo in Spanish. Oh yeah, and Swedish has verb as well. Alright, so yes. So it's not just English that has that doublet word and verb. Other languages have the same thing. And um, what other words do we have from that? Verbose. Yes. Someone who talks a lot is very verbose. I'm being quite verbose at the moment. And that comes from that, ro- that word. Someone who is verbose is quite wordy. Or prolix. Oh, what's that mean? Tediously lengthy, dwelling on trivial details. Aha. And that comes from the old French, prolix, which meant um, overly talkative. From the Latin, how do you pronounce that? Prolixus, which meant stretched out, extended, courteous, or favourable. From pro, which meant for, on behalf of, uh, before, in front of, about, according to, as, like, and such like, and lexus, which meant wide, spacious, roomy, yielding, loose, slack, or free. Uh-huh. And from that we get laps. Lax in English, of course, means something or other. Oh, it means a salmon in some dialects of English and then in Scots, and also in Scandinavian languages. But it has a second meaning, meaning 
uh, lenient, not strict, loose, lacking care, neglectful, negligent. So the first meaning, the salmon meaning, that comes from Old English, lax, which is a salmon, from the Proto-Germanic, lach, from the, where does that come from? Oh, from Proto-Indo-European, lax, a salmon or trout. So that one hasn't changed much in some languages, and you find that sometimes. You go back to the, the roots, and in some languages, the modern words are very similar to the original ones, in that case of lax. In other cases, words have changed enormously over time, and the, the roots which we get from by, we get to by comparing modern languages and historically attested languages, that's it, languages we know words of, being written down, written about, and then you can go back so far and you reconstruct what the roots might have been like. So another word that hasn't changed much in some languages, going right back to the Proto-Indo-European, is, um, chant in English, which in Proto-Indo-European was can, and in Welsh, can means a song. Cani means to sing, caneon is, um, songs, canor is a singer, a male singer, cantores, a female singer, and so on. And in the other Celtic languages, there are related words. In Irish, canu means to sing, um, but a song is an auron, an oran. And in Scottish Gaelic, similar, oran is a song, but to sing is shame. And in Manx, uh, a song is aren, and to sing is golaren, to give a song. Um, but in Scottish Gaelic, you do have that can root. Um, or uh, words from that root, can means to say, and canon means language. So quite often you'll find this when you compare different languages. You find that words that come from the same root might have quite different meanings in in the different languages, or they may have related meanings. Another blog I have is called Celtiadir, on which I write about Celtic languages. I look at connections between the modern and ancient Celtic languages. And often you can find connections, but the words might have different meanings in the different languages. For example, in Manx, this general word for bird is ushag. And this comes from um, an old Irish word meaning a skylark. And in modern Irish, that is fushag. So you can kind of hear the connection possibly there. But... In Irish, the word for bird is in, and there's no equivalent in Manx, so that's um, quite a common theme. Or you find that in one branch of a language family, so, such as the Gaelic or Gaelic languages, as is uh, Irish, Manx and Scottish Gaelic, a word might mean one thing, whereas the cognate in the Brythonic branch, that is Welsh, Cornish and Breton, means something completely different. So for example, sul in Irish means an eye. And you find similar words in uh, Manx and Scottish Gaelic. But the equivalents in the Brythonic branch, which is Hyle in Welsh and Cornish, and Hale, I think, in Breton or something similar, they mean sun. So sun and I. Sun as in the big yellow thing in the sky that appears occasionally in some places and more often in others. Um, so yes, sun and eye, you can see the connection possibly. The sun is like a big eye in the sky, possibly. And now it's time for another tune. Uh, the, the tune you heard at the beginning of this podcast is my theme tune, the Hedgecats, 
And here is another one I wrote a while ago called Push and Pull. a little tune I wrote a few years ago called Push and Pull. Now the word push comes from the Middle English pushin or poshin or possin, which was borrowed into English from French pousser, from the old French pulse, from the Latin pulsare, and from pulsus, to beat or to strike, which is also the root of the word pulse. There are also a number of other words in Middle English meaning to push, there was frutchen, which became in some dialects of modern English, frutch, it's not a word I've ever heard, and also there was um, shoven, which became shove, and in the other Germanic languages, the words for push come from the Proto-Germanic root, fruckiana, which is the root of the Middle and Old English frutchen, which became in German, drucken, in uh, Dutch, Drucken, and similar words in other Germanic languages. And the word pull, now where does that one come from? The English word pull comes from Middle English pullen, from the Old English pullion, to pull, draw, tug, pluck off. And that comes from, uh, don't know, that's cognate with the Middle Low German pullen, to shell, to husk, to pluck, but we don't know where that comes from. Or possibly from Latin, velo, I pluck, I pull. But that's, that's a, a little etymological um, rabbit hole that uh, didn't lead us anywhere particularly. So, um, you've got an idea of what etymology is all about. You've heard the etymologies of a few words and explored those. If you want to know more about this or any other episode of the Radio Omniglots podcast, you can go to radio.omniglots.com. You can find notes and links to more information, links to my other sites, such as my blog, my, um, the Omniglot blog, and the Keltiad Beard. This podcast is brought to you by me, Simon Eger, and omniglot.com is the website I run about languages and writing systems. Please um, leave any comments and suggestions on um, radio.omniglot.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes, any things you'd like me to talk about, please recommend this podcast to your friends, share it, like it, subscribe, and all that sort of thing. And if you're feeling very generous, 
you can also leave a donation. You can go to patreon.com slash omniglot and leave a regular or one-off donation there, or you can donate via PayPal. There are links on Omniglot itself and on my blog and on my um, podcast page and on Guilty Idea as well. And um, you can also find Omniglot on Facebook. There is an Omniglot page on Facebook if you search for Omniglot, and also an Omniglot fan club where you can um, discuss all your language-related topics and interests and words and such like. So I think that will do for now. I hope you found this interesting and informative. So thank you for listening, and goodbye for now.